the great escape is what they call this term, is that people going out and renting outside of city cottages for longer lengths of stay, I think is a trend that wasn't very dominant pre-pandemic or was seen as a budget vacation. Obviously, now I think it's here to stay. And if you try to rent a chalet recently, no longer a budget option at all. It's obviously no longer the only travel that you can do. Things are opening up. So there is definitely a return to city centers, but probably slower than what I had expected originally. We're seeing a lot of longer stays happening. The fact that like now Verbo says that their stays from 21 days to 30 days have increased by 68%. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Schauer and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset and from macroeconomics to local market trends, grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We have with us today, Frederick Awad, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Stay22. And he's going to update us a little bit on what's going on in the short-term market, which has been so upended with COVID. Hi, Fred. Hey, how you doing, Terry? Hey, Axel. How are you doing? We just like to know from you, how did you come to do what you do? How did you end up in your current position and why short-term stays? Well, I came up in the hotel management world, which is kind of related to the travel tourism to the short-term rental. And then obviously I joined a company that was kind of early on, I think it was 2014, as short-term rentals were kind of booming, was called, it's still called Corporate Stays, Montreal-based company, but really focused mainly on the b 2 B side of it and allowed me to really see the industry kind of grow from scratch, right? And explode into the reality that it is now. It's kind of almost one of the most dominant segments in travel. And then more recently, it's been almost three years now, I joined Stay 22, which also operates in travel, touches short-term stays and also hotels, but really a tech company that kind of facilitates different types of travel. So kind of serendipity often, kind of opportunity that came my way and that was off the beaten path. I thought it was growing segments and I really like jumping into growing chaotic far west segments. That's way more my kick than a overly established old industry. Yeah. And I will also mention that uh, Fred and I met through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So when he makes reference to the uh, Wild West, like (laughs) you're definitely bringing some of those skills into the real estate field. I'm a big fan of, I mean, of jiu-jitsu. I find it's a great tool, a sport, but also a great tool for life, right? Uh, I mean, how to approach life. The psychological, for me, benefits outweigh the physical ones. 
Oh, definitely. That's and it's really good to have that balance in your life where at the end of the day you can go and kick something. That's it. Chuck also, grapple them or kicking. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we don't do a lot of kicking. We do a lot of yeah. choking out. Okay. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Choke out the problems. Yeah. There you go. Well, talking about choking out the problems. So you've been at um, Stage Twenty Two now for a little while. Obviously, the last two years have been a roller coaster in terms of getting this started. Like, can you kind of give us a little bit of your perspective and your experience on the rock and roll that you've experienced with travel being shut down and now restarting? Well, I think I mean first and foremost. I don't think anybody could have foreseen how terrible the impact would have been for the travel industry. Travel had been a segment that's been having double-digit growth for like the past 30 years, right? It was consistently growing at double-digit pace, right? Which is a lot. So we came to kind of assume that human mobility, if you like, really this travel, was a never-ending rolling ball of fire until it wasn't, right? And it went, it wasn't a slow decline. It was an absolute guillotine off the head die from one moment to another. So if I give a little story, back in 2019, late 2019, we had a colleague, Linda, she's Chinese, right? And obviously COVID hit China first and she was raising the flag on this matter. Hey guys, it's going to come, it's going to impact travel. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. You know, we heard about Ebola, SARS. I remember a little hiccup, meh, we'll take the hiccup and we'll move on. Should have listened to Linda. She was right, right? So so it was just enormous, right? Everybody in the travel space and the event space, I think, could not have foreseen how huge it was. From a business standpoint, right, I think the most difficult thing was to digest how strongly it affected, how quickly it came everything to a grinding halt, and then being unable to foresee when it's going to come back, and then seeing like the, oh, a layer of hope, no, second wave, boom, back to zero, right? And then like, oh, okay, we go again, and Omicron, back to zero, and then, oh, we're fine, but the government suddenly is being super sensitive. Oh, this country is doing great, but here we can't, or there we can't. The uncertainty, right, and the inability to really forecast anything, I think, was the most difficult for anybody in that space. And if we get into a little bit of some of the trends that you saw, so I know, like, I think we did an interview about maybe a year, a year and a half ago, where you were, you know, talking a little bit about how some of the like downtown rentals that were more geared for the tourist space were having trouble, whereas like the whole chalet country market was really kind of exploding. Like, how do you see that today at this particular time point? Well, I think this trend has, you know, come from what I had seen mistakenly, I think being like a temporary trend is becoming a bit more permanent. Now, probably with less of an intensity, right? So all the data still suggests, right? And I have some data that I can showcase after, but the great escape is what they call this term, right? Is that people going out and renting outside of city cottages for longer lengths of stay, I think is a trend that wasn't very dominant pre-pandemic or was seen as a budget vacation. Obviously now I think it's here to stay. And if you try to rent a chalet recently, no longer a budget option at all. So I think that's to stay. That being said, it's obviously no longer the only travel that you can do. Things are opening up. So there is definitely a return to city centers, but probably slower than what I had expected originally. 
few trends going on, right? Because of that cottage reality, we're seeing a lot of longer stays happening. The fact that like now come Verbo, VRBO, which is the second biggest short-term rental platform after Airbnb, says that their stays from 21 days to 30 days have increased by 68% wow. in 2021, right? And that's a long stay, right? So Will that that trend continue 2022, 23? Probably not 68% year over year, but I don't see it diminishing drastically. I really think it's something kind of to stay, right? People are okay, I have 14 days, 21 days of vacation. Let's rent a cottage in Vermont, New Hampshire, or even in Florida, right? And let's stay there as a base of operations. I think that's going to continue. Going back to the great escape, right? just for your viewers to really understand how drastic that change was. And that's Airbnb data, but I'm pretty sure it's echoed across all platforms. Globally in 2016, only less than 10% of their bookings was in rural areas. Probably it went up a bit after, but 2021 from 10% of rural areas in Canada, for example, 2021 was 43% of the bookings happened in rural areas. Echoed across the world, same way, France, 45%, UK, 48%, 42% Australia, and surprisingly less in the US, only 33%. But it's still like times four, times four and a half, times three. I don't think that percentage of rural area bookings is going to go back to 10% anytime soon. I think that's going to stay. Going back to your question about the return to city center, well, it's definitely happening. International travel is open. Destinations like Paris and everything or New York, I'm sure, are seeing a return of travel. But it's always important to remember that what type of travel drove high occupancy rates in such cities, right? There's business travel. And there's leisure travel. And city centers, if you can imagine, the vast majority of stays in large city centers were driven by business travel. Even though business travel is recovering, that's definitely the segment that is the most harshly affected by the pandemic. You can, you can understand the rationale that happened, right? So suddenly now people started connecting over Zoom, like we're doing now, Hangout and so forth. And that created probably not the same value of relationship building. I think there's no argument there, mm -hmm. but there's still some value in it. And it drove an enormous expense savings, right? In terms of those companies like KPMG's Deloitte that, you know, their travel spend was their second biggest spend after HR and salary, right? And now overnight, they could decrease that by like 80, 90%. Again, they're probably not going to say the same number, but will they go back to what it was pre-pandemic? Probably not. At least they have an incentive to try to resist that as much as possible and either invest elsewhere or just make more profit. But according to AirDNA, actually a little side note on AirDNA, if your viewer want to get into the rental space, either as an operator or an investor, right? I really, really, really recommend they go on airdna.co. It's essentially kind of a data bank that allows you to look at different geographies. What's the average length of stay for short-term rentals? What's the average occupancy rate, the pricing that they have. So it's like a great, great indicator of what type of return you yeah. could have with a set investment in terms of what you could expect in terms of occupancy and rates and everything. Also gives you a lot, a lot, a lot of data in terms of the legislation in place for that specific geography, right? Because it's all great to seeing how much money you can make, but if there's plans or law projects to ban short-term rentals or to make it minimum 30 days, all that goes to shits, right? Start from my language. 
by the way, that's a really a great tip and it's going to lead into my next question, but finish your Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm going on my long thing, but 2021 urban areas saw the largest decline, minus 55% of demand in 2020. That was echoed in 2021 as well, didn't move much. And currently there's kind of an uptick. Again, RDNA shows like plus 15% from Q1 2022 versus Q4 2021, but that's not very big, right? So I think it's going to come back. I still think city centers and but at the best level, leisure travel or just demand for real estate in city centers will continue to rise. But in terms of the pure short-term rental reality, it's still a slow, slow climb up to the levels that we saw in 2019. Well, let me ask you another question. And like, I, you know, I don't know how much you've uh, fiddled around on that website and how much you know about what happens outside of maybe Quebec directly. But like, I think a lot of people, you talk about the great escape. And I think a lot of our investors, myself included, are kind of thinking, okay, well, should I maybe buy some vacation property somewhere? Should I maybe, uh, you know, Airbnb it or consider getting like a small bed and breakfast somewhere? I know I just went to Costa Rica. Like we all have this, you know, dream of the, the small place on the side on the beach, or maybe like, you know, the small apartment in Paris. Like, would you have any advice about what kind of markets or specific markets that could be good investments and maybe something that people should avoid? I could talk about geographies. It's one thing, but I'll talk in broader terms because can't cover probably all the geographies and interests of your readers. The demand in short-term rentals in rural areas is very much linked to the outdoor activity potential of that area. There has been a further, an acceleration of the shift in ways that people research their travel. The traditional way is I want to go to a destination. And when I know my destination, what can I do there? And the pandemic, because a lot of the decisions were not possible, and we went to destinations that we never knew because it's a cottage randomly in Quebec, kind of like, oh yeah, I totally knew about Saint Tits or something. No, we didn't, right? <laughs> it was more driven to what can I? Sorry about anybody. <laughs> no, 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 it's so true, Perfect. so true. <laughs> it was, it was rather what can I do there, right? Yeah. Or I'd like to go do hiking, or I'd love to do canoeing or skiing. So my investment advice is like, okay, try to cover, if I'm buying real estate in a rural area to do short-term rentals, what would my potential guest do as an outdoor activity there? And the more of those popular activities you have in the immediate area, the more ROI you can expect, mm -hmm. right? In terms of ROI, in terms of more demand you can expect. So that's really the rationale that I would use in terms of picking a location at the very least in terms of yeah, chalet or something for short-term rental in a rural area. That's such a good point that you share that it used to be about location and then people look at the activities and now they say, no, I want to go snowshoeing. I want to go cross-country. I'm thinking of cross-country skiing, for example, and mountain yep. biking because it's very location specific. You can't just do it right. everywhere. And people don't really care whether they go to Bromont, Orford, or in the Laurentians. They just want to be able to go cross-country skiing for six hours a day. And so that's an excellent tip, actually, for people who are interested in getting into this market. Instead of searching by location to really look at what kind of clientele do you want to focus and cater to? And then you can go decide where you're going to go invest. Because I do know people actually thinking of the cross-country skiing that have a place. And that's pretty much all they rent to is fans of cross-country skiing because there is the path right in front of their house. And it's a no-brainer. The other thing to take into consideration is kind of the flip side of it, right? My expectation is that everything that happened with the rise of short-term rentals in cities is going to happen in rural areas. All the pros and cons. As you know, big cities, 
usually very not more and more regulated in terms of short-term rentals. As the trend continues of short-term rentals, expect the same thing to happen, right? Expect like, okay, the locals of Saint-Jovit, tons of tourists come in, short-term rentals, humans being humans, some people abuse, they damage property, they're disrespectful of common areas, not because they're bad, it's just different realities, right? Always, always research what's going on in terms of the legal framework of operating short-term rentals there. And I would even suggest like probably try to find other hosts in that area and ask them questions, right? Because I don't expect Saint-Jovit to have a super detailed website that just shares all the regulations of short-term rentals there, right? Or maybe all the struggles of short-term rentals in terms of accessibility or even like very down-to-earth matters, like how often do they pick up garbage? So sometimes they pick up garbage uh, once every two weeks, but if you have guests coming in every two days, it's going to make a mountain of, I'm exaggerating, but a mountain of garbage in front of the Airbnb, not ideal. So like research what's happening in the local place. And if we move out of the cottage space a little bit and start talking a bit more like about, you know, sun destinations, I don't know if you know anything about that, but you know, there's a lot of people who are thinking of getting that condo in Florida or like buying something somewhere that they use a little bit and then rent out the rest of the time. Would you have any advice for that kind of investment strategy? I think the same logics always apply, right? If we're talking Miami Beach, right, it's different than if we're talking somewhere in the Keys. So if it's Miami Beach, it's kind of like city center-ish reality, right? So come, how close are you to convenience? How are you close to restaurants, bar clubs and everything? And look at the regulations and everything there. If it's more outside the city center, but still in a, in a touristy, resorty destination, it's again, what activities is there nearby to do? How far is the beach? Can you do snorkeling and everything? But the facts are people consume short-term rentals more than they ever did during the pandemic. That approach to short-term rentals, because you have your standalone space, you could not interact with people when people were afraid of other people in COVID. People who were not comfortable with short-term rentals experience it for the first time. It's less of an unknown. They've adopted that. The market share for short-term rentals has grown and it's not going to shrink. I think it's probably going to grow some more. And the fact that the sun destinations were not, we're talking about Florida, but we're also talking about like Mexico, Mexico, some people, yeah. yeah, exactly, right? yeah. yeah. We're not historically very dominated by short-term rentals. And my expectation, it's going to keep rising. I think it's a great, great overall investment logic to say, I'm going to buy two great villas in Yucatan near Islas de las Mujeres, right? That being said, again, research the local reality. Like again, Mexico is not Florida. Florida is not the cottage in Quebec, right? There's many more things, logics, to kind of manage. But in terms of demand, undeniably, it's going to grow, right? Um, for me, I don't have the data on that specifically, but there's been a lot of pent-up demand of Nordic countries that have not lived those sun destinations that will have already actually started to exercise itself. It will continue to do so. And I think a good proportion of that demand that used to go to all-inclusive resorts will shift to short-term rentals. So yes, but it's kind of a new growing segment. It's a bit wild, wild westy. So it depends on your risk tolerance in terms of managing three villas in Mexico, where you know there's much more things to, to think of than a cottage in Saint-Jovis. Mm-hmm. Wild West, Fred, sounds right up your alley. Do you own <laughs> any properties like that? Like, do you own no. any short-term properties? No. No, 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 I don't. I'm really not a real estate investor at all. Honestly, I'm too lazy. I, I del- <laughs> That's honest. 
It's very honest. The prospect of me having to call a plumber to repair something is the last thing I want to do in my life. The least worries and free time that I have, aside from my work, the better. I like building capital with more liquid assets, basically. Nothing wrong with real estate, far from it. Obviously, it's a real estate podcast. It's just, I know the space quite well. I sell my services to real estate, short-term rental companies as a consultant, but managing it myself. I did it professionally and it's not passive income. Short-term no. rentals is anything but passive income. Very active. As we're talking about the shifts in demand, there's also a trend I wanted to get your opinion on because I've spoken to actually like two people lately that have literally told me the same thing. Is like, we rented our house and we live in Airbnbs. And I just kind of looked at them like, what do you mean? And they said like, yeah, we're taking a year and we're basically doing like a month or two in different cities throughout North America And we're just going to be living in Airbnb. So they live there. They also work from there. They're kind of the digital nomads, like as Terry coined the terms, like the laptop class. Are there ways to actually cater to these people that are in some ways very good clients? Because the ones I've met, it's, you know, a couple, no kids, they work, they're clean. And so they're kind of the ideal guests. And so from your point of view is, are there ways to cater to these people to actually get properties solely for them? Absolutely. I think just to show to, to first off that that segment was rising pre-pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic and the work from home on steroid movement that happens only fuels the, the ease of being a digital nomad, right? So that probably is why the average length of stay keeps rising as well, right? Obviously, they don't do two-nighters, be a bit complicated. But yes, 100% there is. There's two things that I want to address here. So, okay, how do you cater your property for digital nomads? And then how do you market to digital nomads? The first thing I would address is like, how do you customize if you'd like your property for that? Well, think long-term stays. Essentially, if this thing a month, two months, three months, as you said, Axel, they're living there, right? So your amenities, the way the property is set up has to be taken in consideration somebody who's going to be there long-term. A lot of the early Airbnb days were not like three-month stays. They were like, okay, quick. So the kitchen appliances were super basic. People were cutting costs on that. And rightfully so. Like people stay two nights, they're not going to cook so much, right? The sofas was cheap, you know, all that stuff. So really not rocket science, just taking into consideration somebody's going to live there for two months, right? So if I was living there for two months, what would I need? Yeah. Likely your client will need the exact same thing. The obvious, obvious thing is get the best Wi-Fi connection you could find on the planet. Do not cheat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Number one. Yeah. It is. It is. Especially if he's working there. I mean, it's the last thing he wants. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll just as a side note, I used to manage, like I had a couple of, of short-term places that I was managing and like, you would not believe people can live with anything. The heat can go off. There can be a plumbing explosion, but if the Wi-Fi goes <laughs> out, like that is the, it's panic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is a hundred percent. Well, I mean, trying to put yourself, obviously plumbing in my opinion is worse than Wi-Fi, but yeah, it's just that they're digital nomads. They're likely, their ability to make a living is linked to access to the internet. So basically when they lose that, quote unquote, they lose the ability to make their living to work, right? So it's a must. The more you can facilitate that, the better. So that's like how to cater your property. And I'm not going to very specifics, but it's just yeah. having a different mindset. And it's not replacing a hotel here. You're replacing a three months lease. So think of like a long-term-ish tenant. How to market. On platforms, like assuming you're distributing via Airbnb, Verbo, putting these amenities forefront in the description of the property on the property profile is crucial, right? Even like the title of your listing is super important. 
right? No matter what. But the title of the property could be like for digital nomads, for like, you know, that sort of thing will attract the eye and making sure all the amenities that are absolutely key for long-term stays are like up and forefront of it. And then the way you structure your pricing is important, right? Those platforms allow for discounts for longer stays. And often people just like, okay, I'll put minus 10%, right? Like, okay, fine. But if you're really catering to that crowd, like think a bit more about it, math it out to an extent. Okay, how much of the check-in and check-out cost me as an operator with the cleaning, the replacement, and let's say every five checkout I need to change or whatever it is, math it out and say, if there is no checkouts for three months, how much savings do I have? How much of that savings can I, not all the savings, but how much savings can I pass to the customer? And try to really build something that makes sense for somebody who's staying two weeks, one month, three months, like, be more mindful of those long-term pricings, which isn't often the reflex of the short-term rental operator who really thinks about how to optimize the short-stay pricing. So that's the first thing. Then if you operate many of them, I wouldn't wouldn't suggest that for one, there's a plethora of new websites, platforms that are geared towards digital nomads, blogs, that sort of thing, get in touch them, try to market them, try to have them list, talk about your properties, right? It is for somebody who decides to become digital nomad with kids or with not, it's a jump into the unknown. And that's part of the exciting experience of it, but they're going to get informed, right? They're probably going to start researching that lifestyle, getting feedback from peers who did that. So if you operate 10, 15 units in a said specific region that probably attracts a lot of digital nomad, let's say in Thailand, right? The classic story. Do your research trying to find content blogs, articles about that, and maybe contact them and say, hey, you know, I can host one guy for free for one week. It's an investment. Please write an article or review on my properties and et cetera. There's many ways to approach them. You could pay as well. But I mean, this will go a very, very long way. At Corpus says we did that not for Sun properties, but for downtown properties. And well, content is always king. And if it comes from a third party that's unbiased, you might have paid him or give him a free stay. So it's not so unbiased, but it goes a very long way to drive more demand to your specific properties. Absolutely. Those are all really good tips, man. And makes me think of a unit I have to find someone for. And I'm like, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into this. Thank you so much, man. This has been really educative. Fred, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to add? We're kind of getting close to wrap up time. I really like playing crystal balling. So in the emails we exchanged, you talked about the actual recession and what could happen if there is a recession and impact on short-term rentals. Obviously, I don't know if there is a recession coming up, in my opinion, probably so, uh, because of what well, all the typical indicators that we see in the economy with inflation and, and, and everything, and the interest rates rising, uh, that should rise um, aggressively. But maybe as a last message, to give confidence into everything that's travel. So short-term rentals, obviously, part of the travel space, right? All the data that we see is that there's been so much pent up demand, right? For the past two years about travel that it needs to exercise itself. It's not as if it's changed the behavior of people. There's no data that suggests like, oh, you know, I didn't travel for two years. Maybe I don't need this anymore. There's no data that we see that like, oh, actually, yeah, maybe people don't live without human mobility. The concept of human mobility is one that goes beyond travel. Like we're nomadic tribes 10,000 years ago, right? People move and travel is not only leisure, it's also immigration, people seeing family members after they immigrate. So like the the need for travel remains and short-term rentals is the growing segment in accommodation for travel. So recession or not, I'm very, very confident about the resiliency 
of the short-term demand in the near future. Should there be another drastic wave and government shuts down, it's a different story. But even if disposable income of average population shrinks, it might cut down on some travel, but I do not foresee a drastic cut in these types of spending. From an operating point of view, from a capital gain point of view, it's a different story. But from an operating point of view, I would expect demand to be very resilient unless blocked by government kind of intervention to halt like another way. That's a good point. Thank you so much, Frederick, for today. If people want to find out more about you, what's the best way to go about it? Probably LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, LinkedIn slash Frederick Awad. You want to check me out if you're curious, but I try to do some interesting stuff there. It's pretty much that, guys, or, you know, find my email and email me. I don't have like a specific platform to promote myself. Kind of LinkedIn is pretty much where it's at. All right. Well, Fred, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's really been some great content, great tips for anybody who's thinking of diving into that market, maybe in a more informed way. And uh, we're going to wish you a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.